Our DT Systems, the Wrap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way. But it's the Wrap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Our baby Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a gunner kennel when he goes to and fro. And in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints. And, and even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Slide in the DMs if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course, bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gundog Chronicles. This is episode 56. I'm really sorry that we've been on a little hiatus, but things have been crazy around here. Um, recently, I left Charleston and came down to North Georgia at the Pterodactyl Blaine Tarnacki's Kennel, and now we're staying here. This is our second segment of our southern trip. Sa- say that 10 times fast. Second segment southern trip. And a lot of moving parts. We had a super retriever series. We were on the road a little bit. Um, ended up staying a little bit longer and training with my buddy Western Chester, who's been on the podcast, Old West. So appreciate his hospitality and his family. So we stayed there a little bit longer and then came back to Blaine's. And it's just no cell service some nights and blah, blah, blah. We couldn't get it done. So we're back, baby. So thank you for being with us. we got a cool episode. We're going to talk a little bit about the Super Retriever Series. We're going to talk a little about some of the cool stuff we've got going on in training right now that uh, a lot of people ask questions on, so we're going to cover that. But first, a quick word from the sponsors. First one, you know it, you love it, maybe you feed it. If you don't, give it a whirl. You canuba, baby. We feed multiple blends depending on the dog, and that's what we suggest. If you go back to... One of our recent episodes with Dr. Spoo from Fueled Up Podcast, um, and he's also a gun dog specialist veterinarian. That podcast was legit, and we talked about how every formula fits different dogs. So we feed some dogs 30-20, we feed some dogs the adult blend, and then all our dogs that are under a year and a half or so to two years, they're getting the puppy blend. So find the right formula for your dog, but give Uke a try, baby. Next up, 
big thank you to Traeger Grills. Kev, you've been smoking meat for a while now. How's your Traeger? I couldn't be happier. I actually, I'm brining a chicken right now, and uh, the weather's supposed to be okay tomorrow. And like many other people, I'm stuck at home. So I'm going to be, you know, half working and mostly smoking some meat tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. Stay tuned. I'll let you know how it goes next week. (laughs) Absolutely. So Traeger Grills, great product, top of the line. And we're just dabbling in this. We're new to smoking meat. And so thank you to Traeger. Uh, They're great dog people, great outdoors people, and are huge supporters of the outdoor and wildlife and hunting industry. So check them out. Next up, Gunner, Kennel, man's best kennel. The kennel that provides old Quinn the safety she deserves when we're rolling down the road, baby. Um, These things are built. Ford tough. I mean, they're bad to the bone. <laughs> if you're interested, yeah, no. Meanwhile, I drive a Dodge, but hey, that's Ram right. not. I got a Chevy. <laughs> that's right. But uh, anyways, we've had a lot of people reaching out trying to order them. So thank you. We're happy to help you if you're interested in getting into one. So shoot us a direct message on Instagram at Lone Duck if you're ready to pull the trigger on a Gunner Kennel. Um, another new one, maybe you've heard of him, Duke Cannon. He's a gentleman and a scholar. This is a really cool company that provides men's hygiene material, but body wash, soaps, shaving, all that good grooming stuff. And you know what my favorite part is? It hides my wet dog smell and dog poop underneath my shoes and all that stuff. So I like that body wash. Um, they do a ton for veterans. They're made in America. And again, get rid of that wet dog smell. Wash with the old Duke Cannon, baby. And lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They're the guys who host our podcast and provide us all the information we need to do a better job for you guys. Uh, they also host a bunch of other podcasts. So check them out, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. So now let's talk about some super exciting news. Um, As you all may have seen on Instagram and Facebook, but Ember has had her Chesapeake Bay Retriever puppies, and we had nine, five boys and four girls, and they are healthy. They're walking around now. Their eyes are open, and they are little balls of fire. Um, We sent Ember to a, a good friend of mine, Her name is Celeste, and Celeste basically is a retired woman who loves dogs, has retrievers, uh, has been in the game for a while, and actually she's a client of Blaine's. And a few years ago, she took this course, like a six-month course, where you learn about breeding and whelping from veterinarians. So you're, you're almost like a vet tech, but she has tons of equipment to check puppies inside the womb's heartbeats. She could almost do everything but a C-section. She's so decked out. So uh, Ember is at Celeste, and she's keeping me updated, and the puppies are doing great. She said Ember looks, besides, you know, being full of milk, if you will, right. she looks completely great. Her coat looks good. She, her weight is good. She's a great, caring mother. Like, 
everything I want to hear. And then yesterday, old Cruz girl, Mama Cruz, who had our puppies last winter, where Brew is, you know, she is Brew's mother and Hunter and a bunch of other dogs we've trained this past summer. We bred her uh, again to a dog named Bowie. Bowie's a beautiful, beautiful black lab. I think he's over 5,000 retrieves now. He's a senior hunter, and we're really excited about this litter. And yesterday, Cruz is, like, hanging out with me while I'm training, and I just noticed that she's a little off. And we're, like, a week away from from these pups. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I called Celeste up. She's like, get her here now. And we did. And she checked heartbeat. She checked everything. Cruz calmed herself down. And she's like in this great routine now at Celeste place where we're not worried. Like I was worried. I mean, I, you know, I know, but I don't know where Celeste knows. And, uh, so everything's being monitored right now, probably the 23rd, 24th, 25th, give or take. That's when we'll have puppies from Cruz and we have a few deposits left on that. And we have two female chesties left. So, you know, if you're in the market and you're ready, let me know. I'd be happy to help you with a, a lone duck pup, either a lab or a chessie. But I'm really excited about it, and I'm so thankful for Celeste's knowledge and just I I trust that they're in the best hands. That's awesome. so she so, she's one of Blaine's uh, clients. Yep, I've known her. At, man, I've known her for like five years now. Okay, five, yeah, about five years, and. She just does a really great job. It I, Her facility is meant absolutely detailed and organized, like OCD and clean and just, I mean, it, it's the best of the best. It's not a baby pool. It's, it's a, it's a whelping facility. And she does two to three litters at a time or can hold that many. And, uh, I mean, it's just pretty cool operation, and so I'm excited. These these puppies are going to have early neurological stimulation, early scent introduction. Um, she has a TV with old westerns on where they're cracking off, you know. I mean, I don't know if that really does anything, but it makes us feel good, right? Yeah, I so, mean, it at least sounds cool. You know, they're, introduced, right, they're just introduced to a lot of environmental stuff that is going to – help these puppies develop in that first eight weeks to their full potential. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm fired up. So should be pretty cool. And then uh, Memphis and I had tried our hand at a super retriever series. Um, That was, man, I don't even know. It's kind of a blur dude, but now last all week. Right. Yeah. So when this was last week, can you give a rundown? I'm sure some people know, some people maybe don't know, but, uh, you dabble mostly in the hunt test world. This is totally different. Can you give a rundown yeah, so on like I, that, what the Super Retriever series is? Yeah. So in previous episodes, we've had Clark Kennington on, and we've had Shannon Nardi. And Shannon owns and operates the Super Retriever series. So if you're interested, you can scroll back and listen to those episodes to get like some rules and how it got started, but in a brief rundown, it's four series. There's a field trial. There's a hunt test. 
there's a mixed bag and what's called hunt savvy. So very realistic hunting, like tons of crazy stuff can be thrown out there. But the first series was a field trial and this is not what we really trained for. Um, I'm, I would consider myself a complete novice at field trials. It's huge marks, it's huge blinds. It's very challenging. And if I have any dog that could do it, it'd be Memphis. And I mean, we got eaten up and spit out during it. Um, I'll kind of give you a rundown. So if you can close your eyes, unless you're driving and imagine this, but yeah, don't do it if you're driving, but imagine you're standing on top of a hill and the hill rolls down into a little valley and all the way up another hill. And there's three white coats out there. There's one, the furthest one is your first mark. That's at about 425 yards. Your second mark is on the left-hand side of that hill, probably 150 yards, and it's thrown towards you. And then all the way on the right-hand side is, I would bet, 250 yards being thrown back towards the far mark. So the the two right-hand birds are very similar lines when you send the dog. So the far mark goes off, the left mark goes off, and the third and final right bird goes off, and you send the dog for that mark. She goes and steps on it. I'm like, okay, we're playing, baby. I'm, I'm nervous. I'm excited. We're playing against some of the best trainers in the country. We've got Lyle Steinman, who's been on our podcast. He's won many Super Retriever Series crowns. Um, Steven Durrance, he's won crowns. We had Lee Howard from Mossy Pond, a good friend of mine. He had a bunch of great dogs, just top-notch pros, and they're all – you know, have eight dogs running and I got one. So I got one bullet in the gun to do it. So she goes and steps on the first mark. Now, when you pick up that mark, as your dog is leaving and going down the hill, the, the long bird and the left bird retire. And what that means is they go and hide. So when she first stepped to the mat and was about to run, she sees three white coats and three birds come from those white coats. Well, now all of a sudden there's only one and they need to remember where that was. So it ups the ante. But you go and pick up that one bird, you come back, you know them off of those other two marks and run a blind. And this blind was probably 350 yards away, angled, angled down the valley through a bunch of keyholes, which a keyhole is like a, a group of shrubs on the left and a group of shrubs on the right, and you got to go straight through it. We've talked about it on other podcasts, but yep. anyways, several keyholes all the way down this little valley, and it opens up into a, a, a big pond. And the big pond, you have to hit this little tiny piece of water, and then it opens up into the big pond. So she is dead nuts hammering this i blow a whistle i cast her she takes it i blow a whistle i cast her she takes it and we're like doing it and doing it well and then she hits the water and it's this is where it went ugly 
So normally I would, I would never have figured that she would do this. This is not like, there are some dogs that are very watery and like to swim. There are dogs that try and cheat all the time. There are dogs that try and take the easy way out. Memphis is not that dog. She just has a lot of heart and tries really hard. And, but at 200 yards away or more, I don't know, it was far. She hit this tiny little piece of water and started hunting. I blew the whistle and I cast her and she it's so I'm using terminology, so I'm sorry, but she's ping-ponging. So every time I blew a whistle, she goes left, tweet, that's not right. I need her to dig back. So back, tweet, she goes to the right, she goes left, she goes right, she goes left, she goes right. Every time you blow that whistle, you're getting two points. Every time she refuses a cast and goes the wrong way, that's like 10 points. Then you're just like two, 10, two, 10, two, 10, two, 10. And all of a sudden your score was like a 20 and now you're at a hundred, like in a blink of an eye. Yeah. So. And quick, she's really golf rules. You want a low score. Correct. So we're racking up points here and, and there's so many like shrubs from the keyholes that if with it, if she like, in a blink of an eye is out of sight. So now you got to like tweet her in, cast her, tweet, tweet her in, cast her. All these things are racking up points and she's just butchering this concept. So finally, and this is not good. Finally, I lose her. I blow the whistle. I blow the coming whistle, tweet, tweet, tweet. And I don't see her. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Don't see her. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Don't see her. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Oh, crap. She's at the blind. So basically, that means she completely blew me off and just hauled oh, butt and found it on her own. I was so pissed. But it, she's a dog, and I think she just had a mental breakdown out at a very far distance. So in training, distance erodes control. The farther away the dog is from you, the less control you have, whether you got an e-collar on or not, or what, I mean, with an e-collar, you, you have control, but they think they can get away with things. So we obviously are at a test. You don't have a, you know, e-collar on and you can't make a, you know, correction or anything. So distance erodes control. And she just blew me off. Boom. She found the blind came back and now I'm not sitting very pretty. And I still got to pick up 150 yard mark that, you know, the gunner is hidden in a 425 or 450 yard mark where the gunner's hidden. So I line her up for the short bird, which is no easy. <laughs> it's not, not too short. Right. Yeah, I know. For most dogs, it's a long one, but this is the shortest bird. I send her and it's tight to a, a hedgerow. And if they go behind the hedgerow, they had hidden a bunch of decoys on the other side. So a lot of dogs were sucking into those decoys, getting lost and you couldn't see your dog. And all of a sudden they pop out, you know, 300 yards away up a hill. So of course she does the same thing. Tweet, 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 caster. And she picked up that bird. So I racked up some points, but not terrible. Now I got to punch her out and have her run 425 yards. And real quick, what do you mean by punch her out? Like, like send her for the furthest one. Just, just 
go. Gotcha. You know, so they like they call it a punch bird. Like you want to punch through the middle. So there was a left short bird, a, a right bird that she's already picked up, and you got to punch up the middle. Okay. So we uh, all right. Yeah. So we don't don't eat pita after us. That's all. Yeah. No. I exactly. I didn't punch her lights out. I just we <laughs> punched up the middle. So I line her up. I get her looking out good. I took my time and I sent her and she's doing great up until about 300 yards where that right hand bird was, where there's a guy sitting out there and a lot of dogs are fading towards that guy and having a handle. So I'm like, this will be easy. I've already seen a bunch of dogs. When she makes that decision, I'm going like, when I notice that she might make a mistake, I'm going to stop her before she does. So I do boom caster she takes a great cast she's hauling butt and just like this could be good it could have gone great until it didn't and i mean we already racked up a a ton of points on the blind but still you know we weren't over yet so uh, she takes another great cast another great cast and then goes into hunt mode and is blowing off so many whistles she drives into the woods and goes on a freaking grouse hunt. I mean, she was unbelievably <laughs> out of control. Yeah. We laugh now. It sucked. Well, I'm laughing. So, now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not there watching. That would have been brutal to watch, but just imagine. Uh, it felt like she was in the woods for an hour. Yeah, it was, it was rough. Was so she, was she quartering nicely? Uh yeah, exactly. She was quartering. She wasn't casting or handling or doing anything I told her to do. I mean, she looked like a wild animal out there. I was embarrassed. Oh, man, I'm sorry. So, all right. So, I mean, this was the first series, and we watched a lot of dogs struggle with it, but we also watched a lot of dogs do pretty well. So, we got our score, and we were like, I think three dogs had to be picked up, and then we were like third and last. So out of maybe 50 or 60 dogs, three or four of them couldn't do it. And then we were third to last. And this is a huge, you know, me being very open and honest with people, that's a huge gut check. You know, as a professional dog trainer and and someone who believes in my dog and knows that we can do this, we didn't. We didn't show up. We, We got embarrassed. And, uh, I took it pretty hard for a minute and, um, you know, just reflected on some things I could have done differently as a handler in training, you know, and I think that's what makes us better. You know, when you fail a hunt test, you fail a junior test, a senior test, a master test, a super retriever series, whatever it is, you know, go back to the drawing board and, and work harder and figure out where there's issues and mistakes and, and tweak them and, and keep improving and, so it was, it was highly motivating for me, but it was through embarrassment. Um, so you automatically get to run a second series, no matter how terrible you do. And this was a, a hunt test setup, a bit like not a realistic hunt test, but it, it was hunt test esque. You sat on a bucket, you shot a shotgun. Um, four marks came out. The first mark was thrown real close, so maybe 25, 30 yards away, left to right, behind a little hill. 
second mark came out on the right-hand side of the field, right to left, and then right behind that, another one came out. So they were very close. And then right in the center of the field, probably 200 yards away, another long bird came out. So she didn't, and, and so ended up, she didn't even see that long bird. Um, really? She's usually good about that. Well, I know. So we shoot the three birds, like the handler shoot three birds. And then out in the field, the fourth shot comes out of, they're called like a thunder launcher, boom gun, whatever. People probably know what I'm talking about if you do hunt tests and stuff or train. But the boom gun goes off and it's, it echoes throughout this back field. And so she hears, there's no duck call to signal her to look out there or anything. It's just boom. And so she looks out and, and she doesn't see it. I can tell by the way she's moving and looking, she didn't see it. So I relined her up for another bird. She went out and picked it up. I had to handle her once. Came back, picked up the short bird clean, came back and picked up the other bird with a one whistle or two whistle. And then I basically had to run a blind on that mark. And she freaking hammered it. Nice. So I ended up coming out of that with like an okay score, about uh, a little better than average score for the second series, but I dug myself too big of a hole in the first series. So reflecting on my failures, you know, I don't train for field trials. I don't, I don't run field trials and, and I need to practice. If I'm going to compete at that level, my dog or dogs have to be more versatile in huge three, four hundred yard marks with challenging concepts. And as good as they are at 200 yards, they need to be equally as good at 400. Um, so it was a great learning experience. We had a lot of fun, but it was, I mean, like, I don't even want to use the word humbling because I wasn't arrogant about it. I knew we were going to have a hard time, but I wanted to be in the top 12. My goal was to be in the top 12 and we weren't. So, you know, back to the drawing board a little bit, uh, as far as practicing field trial stuff, but I also know what my bread and butter is training gun dogs and hunt test dogs. So if I can dabble with it, I will, but I can't lose sleep over it. And no, and I don't think you should. I mean, you've mentioned a couple times now, like it's not what you do. So to, to dip your toe into it and try it and and get a feel for it and, you know, yeah, but I have such high expectations. Yeah. But is that fair? You know, sure, man. That's what trying to like, I try and be, I don't, I don't want to be average, right? Like I, I don't, now we're getting into the trying to, you know, get to know Bob Owens a little bit, but like everything I do, I try and be above average. I try and be the best I can be. And we were below average. And so that sucks. So even though it's not what I do all the time and practice for, I can look in the mirror and say, this is what we need to improve on. This is how we improve it. This is what I need to get better at and, and work at it. And, and then maybe a year from now with putting this in more of a four, you know, what it, like in the foreground, 
then maybe I'd be able to compete, you know? And she's still young. I mean, she's, I think, five. So a lot of dogs that are exceptional at this are seven, eight years old because they've been there, done that, seen it all. And so, you know, not that a three-year-old couldn't do it. They do. But it's just more average to hear of seven, eight, nine-year-old dogs that are just crushing it at anything and everything. Yeah. But anyways, enough about that. It was a great experience. I'll definitely do it again, but I will go in way more prepared for the field trial set up before I even sign her up. Yeah, but that's fair. All right. So I, I kind of want to hit another note before we touch on some training tips. And uh, I have some sad news. So a good friend of ours, and he's been on our podcast twice now i think he's hosted kevin and i in maryland for for duck hunts matt peel matt peel and his kennel suffered some tragedy uh sunday night so long story short he went away to go pick his kids up from school or wherever he picked them up and came back and pulled in the driveway and his kennel was in flames There's no real details out on the situation other than he leaves a radio playing so the dogs probably have outside noise drowned out and just something to listen to to calm them down and, you know, whatever. But the radio went on the fritz and sparked and burnt his kennel down. And from the post he made asking for prayers and asking for, you know, quiet time, Basically, like we're we're handling this with clients and and trying to care for emotionally care for them and us and everything. Um, that's kind of all he wrote. So I'm assuming he lost all the dogs, and and I guess we'll find out more as time heals things. But I'd like to give a sincere. Um, I'm sorry that it happened to him. I'm sorry to the clients and dogs. It breaks my heart. It makes me sick to my stomach. Um, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. So our other friend who's been on the podcast, Barton Ramsey from Southern Oak Kennels, has started a GoFundMe for him to help him get on his feet you know, I, I I don't know. I don't know if it'll go to clients. I don't know if it'll go to him. I, all I know is when a fellow dog trainer and duck hunter and, and all around good guy needs help and, and has suffered from like unspeakable things, right? Like this is, you can't, I can't even fathom it. I like to ask everybody to give a dollar or $5 and just help him rebuild what he started. I'm sure this is going to go down in his history of being a man as a shitty chapter in the book. And he's going to have a lot of hard times. I'm sure in the future dealing with this emotionally. And so if you care and want to give a few bucks to help Matt get on his feet 
I'm going to post the GoFundMe link on our Facebook page and Instagram. And do what you can. I mean, five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks, a dollar. Just maybe send a prayer. Whatever it is that you can do, please keep Matt, his family, and his clients, and you know the dogs whose lives were lost in your thoughts. So, sucks. Nothing to say more than it sucks, and I hope it doesn't happen ever again. I think there's measures, things we can take from this. You know, if you have your dogs in kennels or outside, like, there's got to be ways that people can prepare to try and learn from these things and, and hope that it doesn't happen again. It's sickening. And again, my heart goes out to Matt and his family and the clients. So, you know, we'll post that GoFundMe up. So support if you can. Thank you. All right. So let's get into some training stuff. So right now, I've had a lot of questions on Instagram, and I'm currently going through this right now with a few dogs. It's T-pattern. T-pattern is where you basically start teaching the dog how to handle sitting on a whistle, casting over and back. And it's not hard, but it's not simple. And not every dog goes through it flawlessly. So I'm going to kind of break it down and take a minute and just explain how to get to ready to do T-pattern, what T-pattern is, and then how to go about doing it. So in my eyes, a dog should be formally through force fetch with collar, e-collar. Um, they should be forced to a pile. So they'll leave your side and go, you know, 50, 75, 80 yards to a white pole in the ground with a pile of bumpers on the back command. That's the command we use, back. And they leave your side with good authority and drive all the way to the pile. Once I've got that going, I'm going to start teaching sitting on the whistle. And you start that at heel, where every time you stop, they're supposed to sit. You overlay that with a whistle and the verbal command. And then you start from there. Your next step would be calling the dog towards you. So here, tweet. They sit, good dog, maybe throw them a bumper for a reward or whatever. But you get it's easy to get a dog stopping on a whistle coming towards you versus going away. Once they're real seamless at stopping on the whistle whenever they hear it and looking at you, then and, and probably during that actually, I do mini T. Now mini T is simple. Short grass, your backyard, uh, a soccer field, whatever. Everybody's got something with short grass, a golf course. I don't care. And we use big white three-inch bumpers. And if you look, if you can close your eyes again and imagine a baseball field, you got the dog sitting at pitcher's mound. You got first base, second base, third base, and the handler is at home plate. And I'm going to teach overs to first base. 
and I'll throw, you know, there's maybe two or three bumpers over there at first base. I'm going to throw one over to first base. I'm going to blow my whistle. Tweet. Get them to look at me. Good dog. Sit. Tweet. Good. Over. Cast them. And I'll do that a bunch of times, and then I'll do it to the left at third base. You know, three bumpers are over there, and I got one in my hand. I throw it over. They're sitting at pitcher's mound. Tweet. Good. Over. Cast them over to the left. And I do that a bunch of times. And then I do back. And at first, I don't have any over piles when I'm teaching back. I don't have any piles anywhere other than at first base and I work on first base and then I work on second base and take first base away. And then I take first and second base away, no bumpers at those. And I just have the back pile and I'll work on left backs. So dog sitting at pitcher's mound, I move to the left a little bit. I'll pitch a bumper back to the pile. Tweet, get them to look at me. Good back. Lift my left arm straight up. Once I get that pretty good, I move to the right side. So I'll be just to the right of the dog. I call it creating English. So if you're playing pool and you need the ball to kind of angle a certain way, you're going to hit the cue ball with English and it's going to spin and spin the ball that it connects with and get it to like ricochet off to the side, right? You follow me? Yeah, I'm tracking you. Okay. So if I'm if I'm sitting at home plate, and the dog is at the pitcher's mount, I'm going to take three steps to the right to create that English. He's going to already fade to the right because I've already moved that way. I'm going to throw a bumper over his shoulder. Tweet. He looks at me, and I cast. So I always blow the whistle before I cast on a mini tee because what I think happens in their brain is they get conditioned through repetition of when I hear that whistle, he's going to show me where to go. Okay, so I always sit, sit, good dog, sit, throw the bumper, sit, good, tweet, cast. That's just what I do. Okay, so now I got mini T down. They go overs. Now I can put, so sorry, let me slow down. Now I have all the piles out at mini T. And I can go over and left back and over and right back and over and left back and blah, 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 blah. And I can do that seamlessly at mini T. Now I get them stopping at the pitcher's mound and I walk from home plate to pitcher's mound, take the bumper, walk back to home plate and cast. Now they're sitting pretty good. They're understanding the whistle. They're understanding the casting and they're pretty seamless. Now I'll take my over piles away. I'll just have my back pile and I'll send them from my side like I did with force to pile and I'll try and stop them and I'll cast you know, left back, right back, whatever. And I work on that for a few days where they're stopping and handling to the back pile. And then I'll stop them and handle them to adjust in the over pile. And then the next day I'll just handle them on the other over pile. And then I slowly but surely put all the piles out and get them to go stop and cast any direction. And they aren't stopping 20 yards away from where I blew the whistle. We need them to stop when I blow the whistle. So you're using e-collar correction. You're using, maybe you need to tether the dog on a 60 foot rope. And when they're about to hit the end of the rope and like jerk themselves back, that's the same exact time you blow the whistle. There's 
plenty of tricks to get that dog to sit, but that's one of them. But I like the e-collar, and by this point, my dogs are comfortable with it and understand turning the collar off by sitting. Now, one kid rode him. His dog sits on the whistle, but he's always facing away from him. So he keeps staring at the pile he's supposed to go to. Follow me? So you blow the whistle, and the dog stops and sits, but he's yeah, still yeah. facing away from you. But he he's anticipating he's going to send me over this way, so I'm going to sit and look at it. Well, right. I don't even know. I think he's just defiant in terms of I know where to go. I'm staring at it. I'm not going to turn and look. So you need to teach it. So at this point, I'm going to be like, no, here, 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 and and maybe tickle the e-collar a little bit and get him to come towards me. And now as he's coming towards me, tweet. Now he's sitting and looking at me. Cast. Good dog. Gotcha. And it, through repetition, he's going to start sitting halfway and and like halfway facing you and over time you're going to get that good looking right set um t pattern is is a hard drill so like right now sometimes like right now i'm thinking of today for an example brew I gave him a, a left straight back. He needs to dig back to the back pile and he goes to the left over pile. I know, you know, blew my whistle again. No, here, called him into the center, sat him at the pitcher's mound, walked back to home plate, casted him straight back. He turned around and went. I sent him again, stopped him on the whistle and casted him straight back and he turned left and went back. So that would be if they go the wrong way from where you tell them, you want to stop them before they get the reward of the bumper, right. get them back to pitcher's mound and get your cast. Okay. Um, what's another issue people have? Is that something that you've been running into a lot with just brew or is that like a common no, like, issue? It, with all that's the dogs? super common. Yeah. Super common. So that would be super common. Um, is it another just through super repetition and, and doing it slowly and correctly that you kind of uh, work your way away from yeah. that issue? A absolutely. That's how you see this. This is what we're teaching. He's right. trying hard. He's just doing it. So by stopping him, bringing him back, doing it again, stopping him, bringing him back, doing it again, he's like, oh, this is what he means when he does this. This is what he means when he does that he's going to put it all together. And in a week from now, he's not going to make those same mistakes or they're going to be way less. Again, training is consistency, repetition, all that stuff. So through doing many reps of T pattern, he's going to figure it out. Now, another common one is the dogs anticipating the whistle. So how I like to do that. So what, what they'll do is you send them to the straight back pile. I always start every T pattern going straight back two or three times. Then I stop them and I handle them wherever I feel like handling them. Then I give them a freebie and they go straight to the back pile. Then I stop them, handle them wherever you want. Then I give them a freebie to the straight back pile. And if I notice that their momentum slows down, anticipating the whistle, I let them keep going and get to the back pile. Or I'll give a verbal back nick back to keep them driving because they've already been forced to a pile. So they know that 
command and that little bit of pressure is means keep driving. So if your dog is anticipating the whistle and slowing down at the pitcher's mound because they're waiting for you to blow the whistle, to me that tells me that you are trying to blow the whistle too many times and handle too many times versus giving them straight from your side backs. Does that make sense? Yeah, I yes, it does. One thing that I'm catching on from what you're saying now, a difference between and correct me if I'm wrong, but a, a difference between mini T and doing like full on capital T pattern uh in in mini T you're walking up to them and getting the bumper, right? Correct. And they're and they that, pretty much always stay not pretty much. They always stay on the pitcher's mound at mini T. Right. And in the T when pattern, you do T pattern, they're coming back to you, and then you heal them up to the pitcher's mound. Or, excuse me, you. No. They come no. back to you at, at the. No. Home plate, and you send them from home plate to second base. And gotcha. that's when you're stopping them at the pitcher's mound and casting them. And good, that's good why, point, and that's why they're anticipating the whistle because they're waiting until roughly the pitcher's mound area to either be stopped or keep going, or they're trying to yeah. they're trying to call it. Exactly. Gotcha. All right. Right. Exactly. So you're sending them from home plate mm-hmm. to second base, and then from home plate, stopping them at the pitcher's mound and casting them wherever you feel like. So if you are doing that too much, meaning you're you're stopping them and casting them too much then they're going to anticipate it. So you have to keep them on their toes. And I would rather have a dog drive than slow down and and anticipate what I'm going to tell them to do. There's pros and cons to both, but I would rather have a dog that's confident in going and going straight than slowly dogging it out there. Like, uh, he's going to stop me anytime now. What did I do? Oh, he's not stopping me. I'm just going to keep going. So you want to vary the amount of times and depending on the dog, like I was saying, I might do it every other time, right? I might stop them every other time. And on the other, every other time I'm letting them go all the way to the back pile, second base. If I notice I got a dog that is lacking confidence on going all the way to the back pile, I might do two or three and then stop them two or three and then stop them. I also have dogs that are super confident on going to the back pile that I might stop them two or three times in a row and then give them one or two to like definitely one to the back pile or two and then stop them two or three times in a row just to keep them on their toes. Yeah. So I vary, I vary it, but I always want them confidently driving out. So another common issue would be uh, shopping the pile. And we've talked about this in the past. And I've made a comment like I don't mind or I don't really harp on a dog shopping the pile. And shopping the pile means they you send them to the back pile, they get to the pole and the pile of bumpers, and they pick one up and drop it and grab another, pick one up, drop it and grab another, pick one up, drop it and grab another, and they're just shopping, right? Like pick it up, drop it, pick it up, drop it. And then they finally find the one they like and they grab it and bring it back to you. So originally and I still kind of believe this. I don't think it's a major issue. I'm not going to put a lot of pressure on a dog or get too upset at it, but there's a difference between doing it once or twice 
and doing it every time and doing it with six or eight bumpers. So I think it's a, the behavior would come from excitement, anxiousness, and, or a lack of wanting to continue to do work. So poor work ethic, meaning if I stay out here at the back pile and screw around, I don't have to come back to Bob and do it again. Does that make sense? Like yeah, if I go back yeah, to Bob, yeah. he's just going to take back here. So I'm just going to procrastinate out here and pick them all up and screw around. So if I notice that it's becoming a particularly bad habit of shopping, then I'm going to give indirect pressure with a here, Nick, here. So direct pressure would be fetch. That's direct. You are disobeying fetch by picking up and dropping and screwing around. Indirect pressure means or would be like, get your butt back here. And so if he actually comes back to the here and the Nick, that means he knows I better pick something up and get back there right now. Don't come back to me without a bumper. So you're using indirect pressure of here, Nick, here versus fetch, Nick, fetch. Do you, think, do you think shopping bumpers is more of like a young dog uh, thing, or do you find that veteran dogs kind of do this on occasion too? Oh, yeah, any dog can do it. Um, but but you see a lot of it in pattern blinds and T-pattern. Um, so I think it's a medium issue. I don't think like you have a bad dog if it shops a pile – but I do think you need to evaluate a few things. Is the dog screwing around? Is the dog anxious? Is the dog procrastinating? Um, what is the dog doing and why? And then adjust accordingly. Like, for instance, May. May's a stellar dog. She's always going to hit a pile like it's going out of style. I mean, she slams into the pile and sprays bumpers everywhere. She'll, she'll snatch one quick, drop it, grab another, and come back to me. That's technically shopping the pile, but she's not sitting there picking up 18 of them and dropping them. It's like, it's not a major issue, so I don't make it an issue. Now, um, trying to think of another dog I've had that it was like an issue and not, like Hunter. Hunter would, he's in T-pattern, he's Bruce's brother from Cruz's litter. He'd pick one up, drop it, pick one up, and then try and grab another so he'd carry two bumpers at the same time yeah you laugh because it's funny it's not funny it's a pain in the ass well i'm laughing because i think it's adorable that he's just all excited wants to bring a bunch of them back to you but i also recognize yeah that's you and every other listen i know i'm not the pro here (laughs) everybody exactly everybody thinks oh look at him he brought two back that's a huge pet peeve because now a he's gonna start fumbling them and dropping them and picking them up on the way back and dropping them and fumbling. And it's just, a, it, it's stupid. It's no, not funny. Yeah, I get it. Like, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not ragging on you. I'm just saying like, it's not, that's not good. I want them to pick one up, focus on the task at hand and come back. Don't overdo it. Don't get overexcited. Don't be crazy because it, not the other kicker that happens is like, he'll bring two back or, he, I keep saying he, he doesn't do it anymore, but, um, they'll inadvertently drop one. And now you have a bumper somewhere in between you and the back pile and they're going to have to run past it or run to it. And it just, 
it screws things up. So you, you really don't want dogs screwing around at the pile, but I also don't nitpick too much. You have to read the dog. It's a finesse game. Have to read the dog and what they're doing and figure out how and when and why to make a, an adjustment or a correction. Um, other common things would be no going and no going means I put my hand down, I say back and the dog doesn't go or they spin in a circle or they run to the truck or they just don't go. So this is also finesse and I'm going to do the best I can to maybe answer the no go depending on the dog. The reason they no go is generally out of lack of confidence. They're nervous to make a mistake. They're nervous that they don't understand. So I need to start by simplifying. No heel, move up 10 yards, send them again. Now, if they're being disobedient, giving you the middle finger, they just did 20 of them in a row. And now he's like, nah, I'm done. I'm just not going again. You know what to do. You're defying me. You're, you're not trying hard. Now, instead of saying no heel and moving up 10 yards and being kind, no heel with pressure, sit back. So there, that would be uh, the answer to that. Um, I heard, I haven't done this yet. I heard another pro, he'll put a back pile completely away from T pattern. So maybe you turn around a complete 180 degrees and have another back pile out. So you got T pattern out in front of you and directly 180 degrees behind you is a 25 yard back pile. And if a dog no goes, no here, turn 180 and, and pressure, you know, force them to the other pile. That way your T pattern area is less pressure and less stressful. And if, and then turning around is where you can put pressure on and turn back around and run your pattern. Um, so I actually probably, mm -hmm. so you make the T pattern place a good place. And if you don't go, I I will make you go, but I'm going to make you go somewhere else. So that's, that's cool. I need to try that. Yeah, um, you should. You ought to try now that. Another and report back because I feel like that's an interesting test that you know if, if you're sharing, well, I'm sure is, other people don't dog, know. Right, I know, but I don't have any dogs that no go right now. So, and like, if I have, if I run into it, I'll address at that time. Um, now, another common thing is you got your back pile and your two over piles, and you're at home plate, and you say back, and the dog goes to the left, to the leftover pile. So instead of going straight to the back pile, he just takes an angle and and digs to the left pile. And the reason a dog does that is, again, they're not trying hard. That left pile is closer than the straight back pile. Can you envision this? Are you seeing this? Yeah, I'm following you. Okay. So because it's closer, it's easier, and they can get it quicker, and so they're taking the easy way out and going there. They're not, you line them up, they're looking straight out, you say back, and they pew, go to the left and try and pick up that bumper. In that case, I'm no here, get them back to me, I move up to simplify, send them back. <clears throat> then I'll back back up and do it again. If they go to the left, 
or, or maybe they're even looking left and right. They're looking at these white poles left and right, left and right, and they're not looking straight out. Move up, get those left and right over piles a little bit wider in their peripheral vision and make the straight back pile at the second base a little more clear. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm following you. So T-pattern is definitely an art. It definitely takes practice on you for you and the dog. And another thing that I want to touch on and and we'll kind of end it is a lot of, we said it today, we were working with an older woman, Blaine and I, and she brings her two dogs out. She's super nice. And she comes and learns from Blaine and I'm there too and whatever. One of the things Blaine said was that pros keep working at things until they're perfect. Amateurs work on things until they're good enough and move on. I'm paraphrasing, but that was in essence. So like Hunter, Lincoln, and Brew are good enough at T-pattern that some people would say they could move on. They sit on a whistle and they go where I tell them to go 80% of the time. But for me, I need to perfect it so that I know the building blocks of the next step is there. And so a lot of people rush something like T-pattern or swim by, like, oh, he did it great three times in a row, three days in a row, he crushed it and move on. Well, if he had done it the fourth day, he might have seen a huge error that he needed to fix. Like yesterday, Lincoln had a phenomenal day. Today, he did terrible. Yesterday, Hunter had a bad day. Today, he never made a mistake, not even once. So they're learning, but it's not its not honed yet. It's not muscle memory. It's not stopping on a dime and going perfect. its You can just see that it, it's clicking. They're figuring it out, but it's just not there yet. So we're looking for a strong foundation in everything, force fetch, so there's no mistakes, and no mistakes for a while forced to a pile so there's no mistakes and no mistakes for a while t pattern mini t or excuse me mini t then t pattern um build your blocks you know your house is built on a foundation that foundation has to be strong there can't be holes in it or the house will become weaker so don't just do t pattern for a week and they're kind of getting it so you think that they can run a 60 yard blind because they can go 60 yards to a back pile. That's not it. They need to seamlessly leave your side, stop when you whistle, cast where you tell them to cast. And another thing that people do is called reverse T. And that would be you send the dog to the back pile. They pick up a bumper. And when they're coming back to you, you sit them at pitcher's mount and you cast them left with a bumper in their mouth stop them, cast them right all the way to now first base, cast them back to the center, cast them back to the back pile, call them all the way in. So now they've done this backwards with a bumper in their mouth. And now they're basically saying, because what, like once they get that bumper in their mouth, they've succeeded job done. That's what they think. But if you make them do T pattern with it in their mouth still, and they can still handle without worrying about it and without like being confused. Now, you know, holy cow, they've got it. 
And so I think Hunter, Lincoln, and Brew are like probably midweek next week. So let's say a week from now to maybe two weeks from now, they'll be done with tee pattern, doing reverse tee, and working on blinds out in the field. That's awesome. So, yeah. So I hope that helped people. Um, I want to give a little mini shout out to LoneDuckOutfitters.com. If you enjoy this podcast and the content that we put on here and Instagram, please do us a favor, support through the website with hats, t-shirts, all that good jazz. You know, thank you to our sponsors. If you're interested in learning more about Yukonuba, Traeger, Gunner Kennel, Waypoint, or Duke Cannon, you can direct message us. You can follow them on Instagram. Um, Kevin, dude, I'm sorry that it's been a few weeks, but it's glad to be back on the phone with you. Or I'm glad to be back on the phone yeah. with you. I'm glad to rock out on the podcast. And uh, until next time, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Be safe down there. Stay uh, CV free, will you? Yeah, no doubt. Everybody stay safe. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link. Join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it. Enjoy it. We did it for you, and you're helping us produce this show. So thank you so much to that community. Get in, get out, let's roll. Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.